Yes, sir. Five in the four-o-fizzy. Welcome back to another installment of the Thundergrads podcast. I'm your host for today's show, Miles Harbin. Joined with me, as always, is Mr. Michael Martin. Mike, what's good, bro? I'm doing all right. We get a Thunder win last night. I was, I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, it's not a great Spurs team, but I was, I was surprised to get a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but other than that, we got a lot to talk about in today's show, so let's get straight to it. Last night, the OKC Thunder played the San Antonio Spurs and secured their second consecutive third overall win of the season with a score of 99-94. to Mike Muscala had 20 points off the bench. SGA had 14, 8-9. And JRE added 13 points with along, along with Lou Dort, who added 13 as well. And Bays had 11 and 11. It was just a solid win for this Thunder team. I mean, Mike, what was some of the good, bad, and ugly that you saw last night? I mean, normally we start this out and we go the exact order you talked about. We go good, bad, ugly. There wasn't really any ugly from this game. So I'm going to skip that and I'm going to go to bad to start. I'm, I'm mixing it up with you. Okay. I hope. Don't. Catching you off guard here. All right. But um, the bad, I guess, would, all I would say is that the Thunder can't keep getting down to teams like this. Or just at all. Or just like, what they trailed 14-15, cut it to 10 and a half. But, like, I think it's important to come out earlier in these games and not get behind as much. Maybe they're just the comeback kids. But let's let's make it a little bit easier on, on ourselves. And then as far as a good... You mentioned it. You get Muscala going out there, balling out, leading the team in scoring. Did you have that in the plans for the game? I did I, not. I did not. I didn't that. think that no. Moose would lead the team in scoring. Um, but he goes out there and nails. What did he hit? He hit five threes, and then JRE also hit uh, three, which is incredible. Just to have two floor spacers like that at the four and five, it really helps your lineups and frees up space for guys like Shea, Dort, Giddy, and others to drive. And without Muscala and Jerry's, I think nine made threes. <laughs> nine made threes. Uh, the Thunder would have been six of thirty-three from three wow. without those two guys. That's, That's the difference in a win and a loss, right crazy. there. Crazy. Yeah. I did not know that. No, Lou Dort and Shea and the, all those guys. Let me find it exactly. Uh, Bays one for one. Dort one of seven from three. Shea one of six. Giddy one of six from three. So Moose just came to save the day, really. Moose and like, JRE. Like, that's, that's crazy to crazy. see. Crazy. But, yeah, what are some of the bad that you saw? Um, I mean, other than just getting down by 10, there's not a ton. I did have one other good thing because I've been hard on him. I really liked how Darius Baisley played. He played within himself. He finally get, said something positive about my, about my brother. I, I like Baisley. I okay. want him to be good. But he's been playing, you know, a little bit above how – you know, his a bigger role than he probably should. And you saw him go back and be more of a 3-and-D guy. He only took one three, but he was slashing, driving. He gets four assists, 11 rebounds, a block, a steal. He was just all over the floor, and that's more of what I'd like to see. But as far as the bad and the ugly, there wasn't a ton. I mean, you get down. I guess the bad and the ugly would be how bad the three-point shooting is without those guys. Yeah. But it was just great to see Bays come go out there and just – get a double-double and just be a guy that could just do it all for this Thunder team. So it was great to see. A good one would be, for me, is the overall great production of the starting lineup. I mean, guys just came to play, play together as a unit, working hard on both ends of the floor. 
Uh, guys coming off the bench stepped up and showed out, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, Moose led the way with with um, points off the bench. It was just overall incredible and just great to see. And it was just great energy overall at the PC last night. And it was just good to see this Thunder team get better and just build on this. And, you know, we, we are on a two-game winning streak now. Yeah, is this going to continue? Is it? Is Are we it? going to three? <laughs> enjoy the wins you can get. That's true. That's true. But a bad thing that I would have to say is how we started the game. I definitely feel like, you know, looking at the beginning of the game, the first four minutes, it was nine to zero. You know, this Thunder team has to get better at setting the tone and taking control of the games from the jump. It's sort of like this team loves playing from the playing from behind and it's I guess this is an Oklahoma thing as well, you know? Maybe. Maybe with the Sooners football team, I guess. I don't know, but you guys got to get better at that. And an ugly that I would have to point out is that four out of the five starters from the Spurs scored in double figures. Mm. This is not supposed to be happening with this Spurs roster. No disrespect to Coach Pop and his team, but, you know, you know, Kelda Johnson dropping 22-6, and six, DeJounte Murray was – Two rebounds and one assist shy of a triple-double. I mean, I understand these are young, talented players, but to have them come into our house and be that comfortable in getting any shot off, it's unacceptable for me. Yeah, I mean, my dad taught me this a while ago. Well, actually, I learned this playing fantasy basketball. Shout out fantasy basketball. But um, every team has to have somebody who leads them in scoring. That doesn't mean they're going to be a great scorer or they're going to be efficient but everyone has to have a team that leads them in every statistical category. I thought Keldon Johnson was pretty good. DeJounte Murray, I mean, if you're going to give him any compliments, it's because he kind of made life hard on Shea for spurts. But other than that, I mean, he went 5 of 19 from the field, 0 for 4 from 3, 3 turnovers. He was a minus 11. But, um, yeah, this was a good matchup of just two young teams to kind of a measuring stick game for the Thunder where they're not just playing the Lakers who don't really want to play them. Right, and it's like, I guess it does going to have to take a lot of experience moving forward for not only the Thunder but the Spurs to build on this, but I would like to see, you know, Shea, Giddy, and these guys understand that, you know, I can hoop too, I can, I can do whatever I want, and I need to set that tone early to set the pace at the flow of the game, really. So that's yeah. what that's what Shea needs to build on. Yeah, I liked what you said about setting the pace early and getting out to a good start because Shea has been awesome in the third quarter. I think he was averaging like nine points per third quarter, which is like third in the league. But I think sometimes he comes out a little bit too timid to start, and he wants, like, it's it's a good thing that he wants to get his teammates involved, but there are some times where it's like, if we're down 9-0, three minutes in, it's like you need to just take the wheel and get this back on the road for a little bit, then give it back to your teammates and kind of manage and, you know what I mean, right? That's As what a point I'm saying. Guard. Like, but also, to play the devil's advocate a, lo- a little bit, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Ooh. Feel me? So, <laughs> But not every game you're going to be able to come back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are some leads, like against Utah, Houston, Golden State. Their leads are just too big. But if you give yourself a chance and you stay in these games, you stay within five to seven points. and Anything's possible. Anything's possible in this NBA whenever teams get hot from three. Somebody can get going. Shea's been a microwave scorer all this year where he'll just get hot. It doesn't really matter what's been going on in the game before that. He'll just start scoring, and it's just like a, you know, an avalanche of points. 
So we'll just uh, have to wait and see, but I'm excited about what this Thunder team is showing as far as development because they look like a totally different team from even opening night. Most definitely, and it's just great to see these guys, we're watching these guys grow in their careers, them having this much experience and playing time as a professional basketball player, and then just them getting better every day. That's that's all we want to see, really, just mm -hmm. them growing as a as a as a as a unit and then just understanding that you know we can we can make something out of this one day baby steps exactly baby steps it's not a it's not how you start it's how you finish it's Ooh, a marathon that's a call not a back. okay it's not a marathon it's just, it's not a sprint it's a marathon <laughs> they, it's a marathon it's it's a sprint not a marathon it's not a sprint it's, it's a marathon a it's a marathon feel me yeah. you had it the first time yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on moving on moving on since the beginning of the season, Coach Dano has been experimenting with this young Thunder roster, trying to figure out what five players are the best to set the tone at the beginning of the game. And recently, we've been seeing a lot of rookie big man Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the mix this early in the season. Now, Mike, should Jerry continue to be the starting five moving forward, or should just should we keep experimenting and keep trying to figure out what should we throw out there? I don't know if it's experimenting at this point as much as just matchup dependent, where it's if it's a big five, like, um, for example, Wednesday, they're playing against New Orleans. You might see Derek Favors start out against Jonas Valanciunas, but since Drew Ebanks is not a traditional big man who's going to back you into the basket, you can start JRE. I think either way, there's not really a problem, but I like the floor spacing that JRE gives. If you said to me, you have to pick one starting lineup for the rest of the year, then I would say JRE, Bays, Shea, Giddy, Dort, because I just like the versatility of that lineup defensively and offensively in terms of just spacing the floor. And then you also get favors off the bench who can kind of hold it down for a second unit that's kind of suspect. That's kind of why they give up a lot of those leads, is that lineup with Poku, um, Maladon, Kenrich, and um, one other guy. Trey Mann, uh, not Trey Mann, Ty Jerome, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a second here. But but that lineup statistically has not been great this season just in terms of, you know, you have a lot of raw young guys who don't know how to defend. So having a big guy who can kind of quarterback and anchor the defense back there in favors really helps them out. No, I'm going to have to agree with you, though. I feel like putting – it's a lot of – it's a lot on JRE's plate to just be having his one only one year in the in the NBA and, you know, already put in place as the starting five is definitely a lot for mm -hmm. him to grow. And he, had, he has to grow up quickly because, you know, he's already had this responsibility of being in the starting lineup. But I definitely have to agree with you and say that I like JRE in the starting lineup and ha having him in the mix with uh, that young core of SGA, Bays, Dort, and Giddy. I definitely like that. And I definitely feel like, Derek Favors is sort of like a safety net, sort of say, and being like, okay, I see how this flow of the game is going. I'm going to come off the bench and maybe change the flow a little bit and help out the second unit with those guys, like you mentioned, Tail Maladon, Mike Muscala, Isaiah Roby, and those guys. So I definitely feel like, you know, putting JRE at the five and continuing with this lineup that I mentioned earlier, I feel like is in best in Dayton's best bet to continue doing that exactly I mean you just have different guys for different times of the game like favors closed out the Lakers game the other day because they have AD and they have DeAndre Jordan they have Dwight Howard they have some more bigs 
but then you play a game like the Spurs, and it's Muscala's closing it out because there's no real threat. But I guess, you know, we're talking about lineups. What do you think is the Thunder's best lineup? What I what I mentioned earlier, JRE at the five, Bays at the four. You go Dort at the three, and your backcourt is JG and SGA. I have a different one, and it's not necessarily like a starting lineup as much as lineup that I just like to play throughout the game because if you start these guys, it kind of screws up your rotations. But hear me out. Think about this. Shea, Giddy, Dort, Kenridge, and Muscala. I think that might be their best five. Hmm. Kenridge, really? Kenridge is better than Bays. I don't think that's a tough one. I mean, he's a better shooter, better passer, better defender. And Muscala's been hot from three, and he's just kind of, you know, he's more consistent as a shooter than JRE. Is he the defender that JRE is? No, but I think you can make up for that in the fact that Kenrich is a really good defender, and Dort is a really good defender, and Gideon SGA are solid, and Muscala knows where to be, but he's such a good shooter that I think you can you know, it makes up for it a little bit on defense. But isn't having those type of players good to have in your second unit? That's what I mean. That's what I mean. If if we're if the Thunder are down ten in the third quarter and you're like, we need to get our best lineup out there to come back, this is the lineup I'd go with. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that they should be playing together all the time because I mean you saw you know, like the war uh, the Lakers are really good when they go eighty at the five. They don't do it all the time though. So I think you sprinkle that in, but I think that's your best lineup in terms of if you're trying to come back and you need offense, that's a really good five. We'll see because it's a lot you can do. It's a lot of talent on this Thunder roster that you can experiment with and just trying to figure out what works, really. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely tough for Dayton, but I feel like he's going to trust his instincts and figure out what's best for this franchise, really. So. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good problem to have in terms of having a lot of guys who can do different things who all need time on the floor. I mean, that's why they're pushing guys down to the G League. It's not because they're playing bad here. It's because they just need minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Trey, Trey, it was good to see Trey Man just go out there against the Salt Lake Stars last night at, at the OKC Blue Center at the Paycom. Mm-hmm. And just seeing how he was just looking so comfortable out there and along with guys like Zay Rogue, who were just – taking over the games from the jump. So what do you have, like 30? Right. So, yeah. you know, if you have that experience in the G League and and understanding your assignment that, look, this wasn't demoting you, this is just to make you better, and when you come back to this Thunder roster, you are going to, as soon as you get off the bench and you're going to get enter in the game, you're going to understand that, you know, it's just like hooping. It's literally the same thing. Mm-hmm. So... No, they're giving them um, sort of the same role in the G League and just saying, just have ultra green light. It does not matter if you miss. Just keep playing, keep shooting, raise your confidence up, and then once you're playing at a good enough level, we'll bring you back up, and you keep playing at that level, and you can keep getting minutes. Most definitely. So I definitely wish uh, these players nothing but the best. This is not to demote them, but I definitely feel like I mean, you saw Poku last year. Poku went to the G League bubble after he was playing really, really bad, and he came back and looked completely different. So maybe that's something that can happen for Roby or Trey Mann where they, you know, they find themselves playing in the G League and can come back in the NBA and replicate that. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock, the Thunder have a tough task ahead of them as they head down to the bayou to take on Brandon Ingram and the New Orleans Pelicans. This will be the first time these two teams meet in the regular season. 
and we get to have a little little family reunion as Shay goes at it against his cousin, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Now, Mike, what are some of the things that you look forward to seeing as a Thunderhead down to the Smoothie King Center to face the Pelicans? Don't make me laugh saying the Smoothie King Center. You <laughs> knew you were lining that up. You looked me dead in the eye and said Smoothie King Center. But Jonas Valanciunas is the main thing. Like I talked about, you'll probably see Derek Favors start this game just because of how dominant Valanciunas is. He's averaging 19, 14, and 3, which is really, really good. I mean, he's going to put up points. Is he a great defender? No, but he's going to attack the boards, and he's going to make you work on every possession. He's a really good regular season player to have. They obviously don't have B.I. or Zion, but they'll have other guys step up who, like you mentioned, you have Nan, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and you have Devontae Graham, and it'll be really about the Thunder keeping those guys off the three-point line and really just raining from uh, downtown. If they can keep that and control Valanciunas a little bit, then I think that they're going to have a really good chance. Most definitely. And I just going off of what you said, I expect us to go on a three-game winning streak. I'm, I'm going to speak it into his it. The Pelicans don't really have anyone that could guard the backcourt of SGA and Giddy. And the only problem really is Pelicans big man JV. I mean, he's the only thing that the Thunder need to capitalize on. But Favors and Jerry, they're going to handle that. And overall, I expect uh, I expect us to come out with a win. No, there will be a lot of doubles because, I mean, are there any shooters that scare you for New Orleans? Uh, they got Devontae Graham. It's Devontae Graham. Josh Hart's kind of streaky. Herb Jones has been really good. But other than that, like, I'm not yeah. scared of you swinging out to some of these guys. Kira Lewis Jr. Kira Lewis, no. That's, that's not really a threat. No, I'm not worried about this game either. I think the Thunder come out with a win. Um, but the Thunder in their wins – have gotten to the line consistently and they've made threes. So that'll be some of the keys for the Thunder because it's not all about New Orleans. But I also wanted to mention New Orleans is the bad is as bad as the hipster NBA media national people want the Thunder to be. Really? People want people think the Thunder were gonna be really, really bad as I did in my tanking rank rant. But the New Orleans is actually that bad. This New Orleans team is not good at Even all. Even with once, Zion they, once they get those guys back, they're still not making the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's comparable when you get those two guys back to compare them to the Thunder because you have two kind of core guys that you're building around. I think Zion and B.I. are probably better than the combo of Gideon Shea right now, but there's no reason the next three or four years they couldn't because, I mean, B.I. is kind of stagnated in his development and then Zion can't even stay on the floor. Right, and... Them losing their floor general in Lonzo Ball, it definitely hurt them a lot, really. Yeah, and I don't really know what the direction of this team is. I don't either. I mean, you swap out Steven Adams for Valanciunas. You Basically don't, the same thing. You don't need either of them. Yeah, and then you extend him. Like, why? And then Are uh, we hearing a what are you doing? No, tomorrow? not right now. No? no. Okay. Not yet. All right. Save that. But um, <laughs> they just have a bunch of guys who don't really fit together. You have... Guys like Jackson Hayes, where it's like, what is your basketball skill other than running and jumping? Yeah, That's I mean, it. if he wasn't if he wasn't seven foot, he'd be working at Walmart. Really, mm-hmm. he'd be your assistant wherever you're working. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we just this is not a great team. I don't think that they're gonna put up like a ton of fight because I don't know. New Orleans is kind of in a depressed state as a team right now. Not a lot going for them. Yeah, and it's just you know. This was a team that had a lot of excitement like two years ago when they had Zion, Zoe, B.I. They had that young, that young group. You had Drew Holiday. You had J.J. Redick. I mean, this was an exciting team to watch. And then just to 
go from that to this is depressing almost. Yeah, that's what I mean when I call teams like this directionless. Like, what are you trying to do? You have Zion, you have B.I., Lonzo, J.J. Redick, Drew, like you mentioned. And it's like you can go two ways where you can go all in to start competing now, or you can go into rebuild, and they try to do, like, both at the same time. That's an impossible needle to thread where it's like, we're going to be good right now, and we made a pick, and we made a trade for more picks. Oh, no, man. But but, it, oh, but for our sake, though, this is going to be a it's win. Be, I think it's going to be a win. I mean, like I said earlier, cherish those few wins that the Thunder get. I don't think they're going to be a lot this season, probably not over 20 to 25, but cherish the few wins that they have and really, you know, have some excitement for these guys because they're working hard. Most definitely, most definitely. All right, switching over to the rest of the league, number one overall pick in this year's draft guard, Cade Cunningham is back in action for the Detroit Pistons after missing several weeks with an ankle injury. And he's already managing to get his name in the Pistons history books. He became the first Piston since Grant Hill back in 1994 to record a double-double in his third career game or earlier when the Pistons lost to the Philadelphia 76ers a couple nights ago. Kay joins this elite company of not only Grant Hill, but Isaiah Thomas to do so. Now, Mike, is it too late or does Cade have enough time for him to get his name in the race for Rookie of the Year? I don't think it's too late. I mean, he's only missed five games. I'm sure these other guys who have been playing great in this rookie class will also probably miss around five games, you know, knock on wood. We don't want anybody to really get hurt, but those are kind of just the things that happen when you trans, uh, when you go from the college game to the NBA where it's more physical. Guys just miss games. That's just what happens. You're going to get sick. You're going to roll your ankle or whatever. They're going to hold you out. But Cade has been pretty good. I mean, he his first couple games were really, really rough. I know that he had, like, by a number one pick in his first two games, he had the fewest points since Anthony Bennett, which you never want to be in the conversation <laughs> with Anthony Bennett. I'm all to say that. But, I mean, he's averaging 11 six and three uh he's only shooting 23 percent and 14 percent on three gotta get those numbers up I mean he's shooting 93 percent from the line so that's a good sign but gotta get those numbers up and then I don't think it's impossible for him to catch up but there are some other guys who are playing at a really really elite level like Evan Mobley has been awesome like the Cavaliers have been a major surprise this season and a lot of that just goes down to how versatile Evan Mobley is Averaging 15, 8, and 3, 52% from the field, 80% from the line, just being switchable, stretching the floor, doing like a bunch of things. And then also, in that same token, you have a guy who's contributing winning in Scotty Barnes. Yes, sir. Averaging 17, 9, and 2, 52% shooting, uh, 70% from the line. I mean, none of these guys are shooting great from three. And then you can even throw Josh Giddy in there, who's been close to a triple double in a lot of these games. He's averaging 10, 6, and 6. But it's not impossible for Cade to come back. I just think the hardest thing for him is going to be that he doesn't have a great roster around him that complements him well. That and then um, these other guys like Mobley, Barnes, and even to an extent Giddy are contributing to winning, and that's usually what voters will. If there's a coin toss, they're usually going to lean on the side of winning. I'm going to have to disagree with you. I feel like it is kind of too late. I mean, you mentioned Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, uh, Jalen Green, Josh Giddy. They've already established themselves in the league and made it clear that they deserve to be a candidate for that award. But I want to put the spotlight on another guy that you forgot to mention. Chris Duarte out of Oregon. My guy's been balling. He's been really good. I mean, 
So far this season, he's been averaging 17.8 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 2.4 assists. I mean, he just could do it all. He's that he's showing flashes that he can be a spot-up shooter in this league, and he could just create shots for not only himself but make others around him better on offensive end. I, I mean, he's not the best defensive player that you want to have, but, I mean, he gets it done on offensive end, and – he could hit big shots. He's oh. not afraid of shooting shots wide open or if if they're contested. So I definitely feel like there a lot. There's a lot of competition that's fighting for this prestigious award. So I kind of feel like to put to have Cade somewhere in that mix, it would be great. But I kind of feel like it's a little too late for that though. No, Duarte has been really good, but he's kind of in the same boat. The Pacers at four and seven. I don't think this Pacers team is very good, especially. <laughs> I, 24-year-old rookie coming in, playing really well. I mean, he's had a lot of still time. A rook, still he's a had rookie. a lot of time to prep. But still yeah. a rookie. You know another rookie that won this award? We don't name that name. Blake Griffin. I was talking about ben. Blake Griffin set out his first year. You can blurt out his name, Ben Simmons. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> but um, I don't think it's too late for Cade. I mean, he's missed five games. There will be spurts where Giddy, Mobley, uh, Barnes, Green will have a bad five-game stretch, and it'll be just like missing those games. It'll just be coming down to how many good games he uh, has because he's going to have to bump those averages up. No one's going to vote you rookie of the year as a point guard whenever you're shooting like 7% from three. But you you sort of kind of forget how great this rookie class is going to no, be. No, it's really good. Like, I'm going to say it right now. It's almost as great as that draft class that we saw in Luca, Trey, and Triple J and those guys. It's, this is going to be an elite rookie class and going to go down maybe as the same as that 96 and 03 draft class also. so We got to see who the Luka, Kobe, Steve Nash is of this draft before we get that far. I mean, who who's that guy? Jalen Green. Jalen Green that guy? Has entered the conversation. Really? Yes. He's been kind of streaky. I don't know about that. If anybody, it's been Mobley. Mobley's been insane. And this is great because I actually thought that once I saw that Mobley was going to get drafted by the Cavs, I thought it was oh, thought his it was career done. was over. Yeah, like I thought it was wraps. But it's just he's proved me wrong. I mean, I didn't think he was just going to be this elite. I you mean I mean, bigs in the league are kind of extinct. Yeah. So it's like he's showing that he could do it all. Really, like he's he's sort of like a he's a Chris, unicorn. He's like a Chris Bosh sort of yeah. player, like when he was with the Raptors uh, type of player. So it's just great to see him. Hoping for the for this Cavs team. Yeah, and then credit to guys like JB Bickerstaff as the head coach. I mean, this is not an easy fit. You're throwing out a lineup of like their starters for games miles have been like Garland, Sexton, Markinen, Mobley, Jared Allen, and they haven't had any problems on offense. That's crazy. And they've been really good defensively because Mobley can go out there and switch on to different guys and you can keep Jared Allen in the lane. No, like this this Cavs team is really good like we this young backcourt of Colin Sexton and Darius Darius Garland this is great to see well, they Ricky, are currently seven and four Ricky Rubio hit eight threes last night like he went eight of nine from three he looked like Michael Jordan low-key Ricky Rubio the goat himself I mean it's basketball Jesus Ricky it's Rubio crazy. and I really thought this backcourt of uh, Colin Sexton is Darius Garland wasn't going to work. but I don't think it's going to work. I think a lot of it comes down to his usage has been way, way down. It's sort of like what they got in Portland with CJ and Dame. I mean, small guards really aren't going to work like that. I mean, both of them are like, what, 
six three. The other one's like six one, Max, something like that. Yeah. So I didn't think it was gonna work, but they're showing that it can work. Well, that's the difference between Portland and Cleveland right now. Is Portland has never had anybody as good as Jared Allen or Evan Mobley, and just that much changes things. Where you have guys on the perimeter who can protect these smaller guards and allow them. You know, like I talked about with Muscala, you get balance in these lineups. If a guy's not a great shooter but he's a great defender. That balances out a guy who's not a great defender, but he's a great shooter. Most definitely. Right. Moving forward, a lot of teams in the NBA are straight balling right now. I mean, you're looking at how the Warriors, they're looking at how they look back in 2017. I mean, you got the Chicago Bulls, Miami Heat, Charlotte Hornets. A lot of these teams are just looking amazing right now, but there are a couple teams struggling. Which teams, Mike, do you think need to sort of hit the panic button as the season has already progressed. That's how you just throw the heat in there, that conversation. Are we not a top team in the East? Uh, I'm just messing with you. Okay, the Lakers should be pressing the panic button. Okay. The Lakers are not playing very good basketball right now. I mean, what's their record right now? It's not good. LeBron is maybe out for another one to two months, according to a source from a former Lakers trainer. That scares me. They're 5-5 five and five right now. And they have had a relatively easy schedule. AD is really injury-prone, as we all know. Just in the last week, he sprained his thumb against the Thunder and then had stomach illness that kept him out of the Blazers game. This roster is just not built very well, and I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried, Miles. I mean, Russell Westbrook last, uh, the other night against Portland, here was his stat line. Eight, nine, six assists, six turnovers. He went one of 13 from the field. That's the most missed shots by a Laker with only one field goal made since Kobe in 2015. You want to be in a list with Kobe, but not not that list. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Russell Westbrook's got to be better. I don't really know how you fix this team because, I mean, what, do you trade Russell Westbrook? Who's going to take on to that contract and how bad he's playing? If it's not going to work with LeBron and Russell Westbrook at this point, what what is the alternative plan? And then you got, have guys like, you know, I know that I've hated on Austin Reeves sometimes, but can can you name – Miles, can you name me one contender in NBA history ever, a team that thought they could win the championship that a couple weeks into the season was playing an undrafted rookie in their closing lineups in crunch time? <laughs> that's not an insult to Austin Reeves. No, I can't name any. That's not an insult to Austin Reeves at all. That's the, just the fact that like good teams don't play guys with this level of experience late in games. Like The Bucks weren't playing uh, rookies in their finals run or in the playoffs or in the regular season. The Warriors sure aren't playing like. Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga have been MIA playing in the G League. So usually these young guys can't contribute to winning, but having Austin Reeves out there and guys like that and just, we've talked about it before, how important Carmelo is to that team is insane. Carmelo is all of their shooting. Carmelo is like, if they need to make 12 threes a game, they need five from Carmelo because the rest of those guys can't shoot. It's just, it's not a well-constructed roster. And then, I know that LeBron is invincible, and I've never wanted to be one to doubt LeBron, but Father Time is undefeated, and these injuries are starting to pile up, and even in these games where he has played, he hasn't necessarily looked like LeBron. I know that he can turn it on in the playoffs, but you saw it last year whenever they got you know knocked out by the Suns. You can save it all year long, but if it hits at the wrong time, it does not matter, and you can just get sent home. Most definitely, and just... Going off what you said about the Lakers, it seems like AD can't really play basketball if he doesn't have LeBron out there with him. I mean, when the Lakers played the Trailblazers, AD had like two more points than me, bro. I mean, we all know what AD is capable of. 
and how dominant he can be. I mean, he's just not showing it. Mm-hmm. No, he does not look like somebody who is going out there just to kill people. Like Embiid is out there, and he's like, I'm going to just stuff this ball down your throat and dunk on every single one of you and humiliate you. And Anthony Davis just looks like he's out there just to have, to go- have a good time. You know, we'll just see what happens. Maybe I'll score 30. Maybe I won't. But AD's got to be, if you're a superstar in this league, like we've talked about, you need to show that and go play like it. Don't let Russell Westbrook take the reins from this team from you whenever you're one of the 10 best players in the world. No offense to Russ, who's no KC legend, but he's not even one of the 25 best players in the league right now, especially the way he's playing right now, which is abysmal. Word of the day, abysmal. What What does that mean? Bad. Oh, I did not know that. Really bad. Hmm. Interesting. But now you know. Okay. Well, you mentioned a West Coast team. Now let's take it to the East Coast right quick. I'm talking about the Boston Celtics. I mean, they need to press that panic button like so many times. I don't know if it's because they don't have their whole roster healthy, but the C's need to make some changes to this roster. It's almost seemed like they can't play basketball as a unit in games, and it's showing. I mean, you saw couple weeks ago when Marcus Smart made that statement. I got it right here. I'm going to read it for y'all. Every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Jalen. I think everybody's scouting report is to make those guys try to pass the ball. They don't want to pass the ball. And that's something they're going to learn. And it's just tough to see this, this Celtics roster have so much talent and just put it to waste. Right now in the Eastern Conference, they're 12. And they're sitting at a record of four and six. That's not good at all. So, I mean, I don't know what they need to change. Obviously, you want to build around this generational talent in Jason Tatum and a great sidekick in Jalen Brown. But I don't know what needs to be done for this Celtics team to turn it around because they're not looking like they could come out the East. I mean, these are two great franchises, like we mentioned, the Lakers and the Celtics, who are competing for what number 18 mm-hmm. title championship so they're not showing like they want it right now so that's that's why i feel like the celtics should press the panic button a lot of people had in the preseason they had the celtics as like a four or five seed or even a three seed i was never somebody who believed so i'm a little bit surprised but not totally surprised just because this roster is just not very well constructed in the sense of they don't have an actual point guard on the roster like it's okay if Tatum and Brown don't pass, but whenever your point guard is Marcus Smart or Dennis Schroeder, no offense to those guys, but they're not Chris Paul. I mean, even having something as easy or as simple as instead of uh, Dennis Schroeder, what if you just had Ricky Rubio on this team? They'd be so much better. Most definitely. Because he just waters all those plants around the floor and gets it to guys, but Marcus Smart hit the nail on the head when he said these guys are going to have to learn how to pass, and it's not just it's because I've heard some Celtics fans where it's like, well, Jason Tatum had 70 passes in this game or whatever. It's like just swinging it to the corner is not what the passes we're talking about. We're talking about when you draw a double and you read it with your eyes and you see a guy in the opposite corner and you throw it to that guy. It's not just it's not just the easy swing passes. It's making advanced reads. That's what makes these guys so special whenever you get to the level of guys like Harden, LeBron, Curry, Luka, and other guys like that who are an actual dual threat to kill you with a pass or with their shot. And in, like, you, like you said, it's just not working out, man. I mean, is trading Marcus Smart an option for this Celtics organization? I don't know where he fits on a different team, though. 
surprised. Like what what team is going? We need Marcus Smart. That's not an insult to him, but it's just like at his cap level and the role he plays on this team. Like I think he would have been a good fit for the Warriors, but the Warriors are rolling. Why would they? Why would they switch anything up? I mean, and they already got Draymond, who's already a defensive presence mm-hmm. already. So I mean, why would you get yeah. smart? No, maybe you do that as a deadline deal whenever you get pl- uh, Clay back and do some different things. But I'm not sure exactly what the Celtics would want back. So Marcus Smart, there's just not a huge market for him to be traded anywhere because I think he just got extended or he's going to his contract's going to end this year so you're probably going to have to pay him you're going to have to extend his deal which I don't think that teams necessarily want to do because you don't know how he fits with your team but Marcus Smart is a good player and an effective winning player but his role like we've talked about with like Darius Baisley is just too big for this team but I mean also he's made it clear that he can only do so much standing in the corner just waiting for these guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to just drive to the basket and just kick it to him whenever they want to. Or if they get stuck in a one-on-one matchup, he's going to be there. I mean, he can't – you can only do so much. I'm glad you said that because this reminds me of a Scott Brooks quote where he was talking about the ball – the basketball has, like, magical powers in the sense, like, hold on for a second before you look at me crazy. But the basketball has magical powers in terms of confidence when guys just get to touch the ball. Like, I don't think people understand how hard it is to be a shooter and you touch the ball, like, once every three minutes. And it's like, hey, go make a shot. It's like, that's borderline impossible. Like, it's important that everybody feels involved and does different things. That doesn't mean Marcus Smart needs to be running a bunch of pick and rolls, but he needs to be somewhat involved in the offense and not just standing in the corner or setting screens or different things like that. I understand that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are your two best offensive players, but sometimes it's a balancing act because if you want these guys like Marcus Smart and Al Horford to buy in and play good defense to cover your butts, then you need to also involve them on the offensive end so they feel like they're a part of the team and they're not just, you know, they're not just the three other guys so you guys can play fives. Most definitely. And it's like we saw how this team looked when they had Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier a couple years ago. And just to see them going from that to this and, you know, you got guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown not speaking to the media anymore. They don't want to talk to them. And the front office for the Celtics, they're only having players only meetings. And it's just like it's a lot of drama going on in Boston, man. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they were a lot better when they had better players, obviously, but they played the same way. They had the same problems. I mean, Kyrie is going to be a Hall of Famer one day, but he's not exactly a great passer or somebody who sets other people up. I understand that people love this whole positionless basketball thing. Like, we have it with the Thunder, a lot of guys who don't really have a position. But you still have guys who can pass the ball like Shea and Giddy who can get other people involved. There are some still core basketball skills that you need on every team, like rebounding, scoring, defending, passing, that you just have to have. All right. Moving on. It is time for your picks up. I am currently six and two, while my co-host, the man, the myth, and the legend, has been going out sad recently with a record of four and four. It's all right, though, Mike. It's not how you start. It's how you finish, my G. Yeah, exactly. We're back to 500. It's just, (laughs) it's all, the world is my oyster now. It's about to go on a run. All right, but tomorrow's doubleheader features the Greek Freak and the reigning NBA champs, Milwaukee Bucks, traveling to the city of brotherly love to take on Joel Embiid and the 76ers. And then afterwards, Dame Time and the Portland Trailblazers 
head to the Staples Center to take on PG-13 and the LA Clippers. Now, Mike, who you got? For the first game, give me the Bucks, the NBA champions. I think they bounce back here. Um, they get some different guys back like Giannis. Uh, not Giannis. Giannis is already there. But they get guys <laughs> like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton back who have been kind of in and out of the lineup. And Philadelphia is just dealing with a lot of injuries. Although Philadelphia has a much better record, I think Milwaukee comes out with a win on that one. I'm going to have to agree with you. I got Giannis too. I feel like him and the crew are going to get the dub. I mean, this matchup might be a sneak peek of what we see in the Eastern semis. Both these teams have talented players that complement their superstar for their respective team and, and Joel Embiid and Giannis. I mean, but the Bucks are now on a two-game losing streak, I understand. But I feel like they'll use that as momentum to get the dub tonight, tomorrow night at, at Philly. So we'll see. All right, next one, Blazers Clips, what you got? Um, give me the Los Angeles Clippers. They've won their last four in a row, although those last four wins have come against the Thunder, Minnesota twice, and then Charlotte's a good team, but I think they're gonna they're starting to roll right here. They're playing in LA, you know, playing in Staples Center against the Clippers, not the hardest place to play. But Damian Lillard has not been good on the road from three this year. So I'm gonna take the Clippers. They have nobody to guard PG. I mean, you can throw Robert Covington, Larry Nance out there, but PG right now is cooking, and he is just torching people, and I think he's, he's going to be the best player in that game tomorrow. Why are we always agreeing with this, man? Because we're smart. But we're, this we're is so smart. boring. Like, I picked before you. Oh, my God. Some, if you want to pick the Blazers to disagree, no, I want No, I want to have a winning record. You know I mean? uh, but, maybe this is the thing that takes you over the top. But I'm going to have to go with the clips, though. I mean, like you mentioned, PG has been on a tear right now. Him alongside Reggie Jackson if the, and those young guys off the bench like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard, have, they've been a fun group to watch this season. I mean, no diss to Dame, but he's just not been that guy so far this season. And with this new foul rule the NBA referees have implemented, his average just has dropped, and the Blazers overall have not been a real threat in the West. So Yeah, they've had a bunch of problems from getting a new coach, now the investigation of Neil O'Shea, their GM, and some sexual misconduct and different things like that, misogynist uh, things, it's only going to get harder for this team. There's I mean, another the, GM that's right. been accused of okay. racism and misogyny? So it was the thing with the Suns with yeah. Robert Sarver, as we know, Dang. which is a conversation for another day because there's just too much to unpack right now. But um, Neil O'Shea, after that, is the GM of the blazers and after that report came out i guess some people felt empowered to speak out against something that they thought was a toxic culture in portland and now there's supposedly a bunch of research that's being done which is not good especially whether you know the whole case with chauncey billups and his sexual misconduct thing going back to when he was a player and then you have a gm who also has a history of that it's going to be really hard to i don't know navigate through all that from a pr level and just you know, Dame's going to get asked about this every single day, just like how he was getting asked every single day, are you going to leave? I think there's just too much on the outside for this basketball team to succeed inside on the court. I did not know this. That's crazy, but, man, <sighs> you hate to see it, man. You hate to see it. Yeah. But this is going to have to wrap up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I mean, be sure to follow us on IG at Thundergrads and Twitter and at the Thundergrads to stay up to date on all of our latest content. But Mike, you got anything to say? Thank you so much for listening. Remember to rate us five stars on 
Apple. Um, recommend us to your friends on Spotify, a bunch of things. I'll have this uploaded as soon as I can. But as we always say, thank you so much for listening. We are the Thunder Dreads. You are now.